the singing this morning has been sweet. I would say that you have come here to worship the living God. Am I right? Oh, my goodness. Worship is such a beautiful thing. And, of course, worship is that which the heart voluntarily does towards an object of, of immense beauty and kindness and love. You just can't help but worship. And we have discovered that our God is such a God. And so this series that we're doing, beginning today and taking us through Christmas Eve, is a series called Come to Worship. Now, uh, this, this name of the series is not original, okay? It actually came from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, and where it says these words. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, that's where, in the days of Herod the king, that's when, Behold, or suddenly, unexpectedly, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And they had a question. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. And say it with me. We have come. Many, many, many years ago, the wise men came to Jerusalem. And there they brought their gifts to worship this brand new king, King Jesus. And so what we are going to be doing over these number of, of worship sessions together is we are going to be expressing forms of worship, postures of worship to our great God and King, Jesus Christ. So beginning next week, next week we're going to talk about the issue of bring your gifts, bring your gifts to worship Christ, the King. And, of course, the wise men did that. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. I don't know about you, but I'm fresh out of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So there are some kinds of gifts that we can bring, and that's what we're going to talk about next week. What is it that we can bring to such a worthy king? And so next week we'll talk about bring your gifts. Um, and then the week after that, on the 18th of December, we're going to talk about pour out your heart. Pour out your heart as an expression and a form of worship. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about bend your knee. Bend your knee to worship this great king. Now, on Christmas Eve, these are going to be our Christmas worship services. Uh, we're going to hold two services on Christmas Eve, one at 5 o'clock, which will correspond to this service. The 5 o'clock hour is our contemporary family-focused service. And so Courtney will be up here with the band, and we will be doing these contemporary choruses and some of these contemporary Christian songs, Christmas songs. And so we will be doing that to help make it a little bit more family-friendly. Uh, we're going to have you keep the children in, and uh, we're also going to have a special children's message in the middle of the worship service where I will sit down here, and I will beckon all the little ones to come up to me. And then we will spend some time having a little message with them. Then I'll send them back to their moms and their dads, Grammys and grandpas, and uh, we will carry on with our worship time together. So 5 o'clock corresponds to this service. And uh, then the 8 o'clock hour will correspond to our more traditionally formatted service, which we do at the 9 o'clock hour on Sundays. But in that hour, it's going to be extraordinary. Uh, we're going to have this whole area taken up with the orchestra along with the band equipment, and they'll spill over onto the floor and down by the piano. Over here, the whole choir is going to set up. In the middle are going to be the bells. And so the only spot left for me to stand and do our specials from is right here. And so I will stand here with, a, with a, my uh, little stool there and my uh, stand. And from here, I will speak. And from here, we'll do some Christmas specials. And both services will end with lighting of the candles. And it will be a great, 
evening together. So I want to encourage you. We have about 100 invitations set aside for you to take and offer to friends and family to invite them to come with you. So we are talking about coming to worship Christ the King. We will bring our gifts next week. On the 18th, we will pour out our hearts. On Christmas Eve, we will bend the knee. But today, today we are going to lift our hands to worship the King of Kings. Now, for some of you, this thought is like, awesome, I love this part. And others of you are like, Ooh, I have to witness people doing that all around me, and it makes me nervous. I'm going to pray for you. Let's take a minute. Let's pray together as we get ready to consider this posture of worship together. Father, thank you that you have even made yourself known to us so that we can worship you. And Father, I know uh, by your word that our original purpose for cre being created was to love you and to know you and to serve you and hence worship you. And I thank you that you're bringing us back around to that original purpose. I pray that our hearts will grow as we talk about these various postures of worship and that you will continue to expand our hearts even beyond what our minds can know. Help us, I pray, in this endeavor. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. So today, we are going to focus in on this idea to lift your hands, to lift your hands in worship to Christ the King. Now, <clears throat> some of you have come into this whole Christian realm thing a little later in life. You know, maybe you didn't grow up in church. I certainly didn't. I, the first time I went to church was when I was 22 years old, and I walked into a fairly traditional Baptist church in South Paris, Maine. And so I didn't have any church background at all. Uh, maybe you come from a little bit more of a background that's formal or traditional. And, and so this whole idea of somehow raising your hands in worship to you seems a little odd, a little bit awkward. Now, the reason why we bring the lighting down in this space for this service is so that people can have a sense of personal space, so that you can honestly spend some time worshiping in this intimate relationship with the Lord. And you feel so right in doing that. But can I tell you, for some of the people in this space right now, when they watch you do that, for them, it's like watching somebody make out. <laughs> it really is. It, it's like you walk into a space and somebody's making out, and you go like this, and you keep on moving. Because you feel embarrassed. It's awkward. You're not exactly sure what to expect. Uh, and, and, and so for some of you, this, this whole thing is like just, mm, it really fights how you're created and whether you're made. I get that. It struggles for you. But you know what I've discovered? I have discovered that as I have grown in my relationship with Jesus Christ, when I first got saved later in life and, and I went to this very traditional church, I had a great sense of the awe of God, the majesty of God, the bigness, the beauty, the holiness of God. And so I, I, I felt when I got near to God, like I should get low. I always felt like I should get low. I wanted to sit down or get on my knees as I got into the presence of God. And so it always humbled me to do that. But as I have grown in my walk with the Lord and I have grown in my understanding of the fatherhood of God, is I have grown in the understanding of love and of grace, I find myself less apt to get low and more apt to raise my hand, 
more apt to stand in the presence of a glorious God who loves me so, so much. And so it, they're various expressions. They're different ways of doing it. But they're meant to be personal and real and beautiful. So my goal in our time together is to show you from the scriptures how right this is. And I want to ask you to just move at the pace of the Spirit of God in your life to move into the realms that may be uncomfortable for you. Because quite frankly, when you get into this whole hand-holding, oh, hand-holding, yes, hand-raising thing, uh, if you don't come from a hand-raising church, if you don't, that's not your background, did you know there's a right way to hand-raise and a wrong way to hand-raise? Did you know there are certain kinds of hand-raises and there's a right way to warm up? Did you know all that? I didn't. But comedian Tim Hawkins says there is. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know, anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> Some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to, Tim. I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us. But don't feel like you got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking, start slow. Hands in the pockets, little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go. All that to say, start at your own speed, okay? Wherever you're at in that, work your way forward to the next one. Rocky goalposts, I don't know. But, you know, the beauty of this is it, it's not just meant to be funny. Uh, it is actually meant to be an authentic expression of worship before the Lord. And again, you will find the lifting of hands to be a fairly common expression of worship found in the Bible. 
And one of the places we're going to look is in Psalm 63. Psalm 63. As we consider together this whole idea of, of lifting your hands in praise. So David begins in Psalm 63 with these words, O oh God, you are my God. And I just love the way he says that, such heartfelt. Would you just say those words with me together? Here we go. Oh God, you are my God. Ah, I love that. I love it. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Let me, let me say that one more time. Because your steadfast love is better than even life itself. Say that with me. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to be true of God's love for you? David goes on to say this. So, in light of that, my lips will praise you and I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, say it with me, I will lift up. I will lift up my hands. Now, it looks like David is in the middle of a difficult situation here uh, because he talks about the idea that his soul is empty, his flesh is faint. And he can't seem to find refreshment uh, no matter where he turns. And, you know, if you have Psalm 63 open before you, you'll see that there's actually a little header uh, put on Psalm 63. And that's actually in the Hebrew. This is part of the original text. And it says this, Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness, the wilderness of Judah. Now, we don't know the exact situation here, but we do know from uh, Samuel's, the, the telling of the life of David, that there were two significant episodes in his life where he was in the wilderness of Judah. We don't know which one it is. Uh, one of them is found in 1 Samuel 23 and 24, chapters 23 and 24. And this is where David is running for his life from King Saul, who was seeking to kill him because he knew that God had anointed him as the next king over Israel. And so here, David has a very jealous co-worker. He wants to end his life, and he will do whatever it takes to hold on to his position. King Saul is doing that. So on the one hand, we have that episode that could have brought this to light. The other one is found in 2 Samuel 15, and this is much later in David's life. This is when David was running from his son Absalom. Absalom, Absalom, oh Absalom. He loved Absalom so much, but Absalom was angry with his father. So he took his father's throne because he was so upset that David did nothing for his sister Tamar, who was raped by one of David's sons. And so here we have a family issue in David's life. So on the one hand, David is potentially putting this, these words forward in Psalm 63 because of a bad work situation. Maybe you can identify. I don't know what's going on in your workaday world, but I do know relationships are the most difficult part of your job, aren't they? You know, if it was just inputting data, if it was just putting this in here or doing this, that's the easy part. The hard part is people. The hard part is actually helping people, working with people, managing people. 
That's why, they pay, that's why they pay people who manage people more money than they pay people who manage things. Have you ever noticed that? If you actually have to manage people, that's a much harder task. So they pay you more to do it than if you manage things. So on the one hand, it's, it could be his work world, his, his uh, kingship he could be talking about. But on the other hand, it could be his home life. He's struggling deeply with relationships. It could be King Saul or it could be Absalom. But one way or the other, David is having a hardship, a difficult, difficult time. Maybe you're here this morning and there is a relationship in your life that is causing you deep distress. Maybe you feel a bit like your soul is empty. Maybe you feel a bit like you're getting faint because you don't know what to do or how to respond. And you just have this overwhelming sense of, I need to be refreshed. Everywhere I turn, it just seems to be more emptiness and desert and dryness. Well, what do you do? How do you respond? How do you find a sense of refreshment? Well, again, I love what David says here. What I'm going to do, Lord, is I am going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. I, I remember beholding your power and your glory. I've seen your steadfast love. It's better than my life. My lips are going to what? I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to bless you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. There is something. There is something about praising God. Something about praising him for who he is. The king of all, the majestic one, the glorious one. And what he has done for us in and through the cross. There's something about praising God that has a way of lifting us out of the mire. There is a way that it almost seems to lift us up above our situation. And it puts us in this place where we can be surrounded by the person of God. The Bible does say that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And so as we praise God, what God does is he lifts us up. He lifts us out of the depression and of the hardships that are in our lives. I will lift my hands to praise you. Some years ago, uh, when I worked uh, for David Shaw at Old Glory Furniture Restoration, I was newly saved, and we listened to this Christian radio station all the time. And on this Christian radio station, we used to listen to something called John DeBrine, Song Time in the Morning. Came out of Boston, and uh, every time that episode would come on, John DeBrine would always begin with this little ditty, this little song. And uh, it was always designed to say, remember this, because this will help you in this walk of life. And so it goes like this, and I've done this before, and my throat is gone, so however it comes out, be merciful. But it goes something like this. It's amazing what praising can do. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's amazing what praising can do. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't worry when things go wrong. Jesus fills my heart with a song. It's amazing what praising can do. Hallelujah. <laughs> I've lost it. You know, uh, the Bible does say to make a joyful noise before the Lord, not a perfect one. But do you know what happens when you do this? When you lift up your hands like this before the Lord and you begin to praise him and praise him and praise him, what is happening is this. What you're saying is, Daddy, 
I love you. Daddy, pick me up. Father, help me. Come alongside me. Help me. And so if we understand the scriptures correctly, that when a person repents of their sin and embraces Christ with their life, the Holy Spirit enters into them, and they are born again, and they are made a child of God. So just as any child, when that child looks up and that child raises their hands, as the hands go up, the Father's heart goes out and he embraces us in that moment. This is so true. I get to witness this often with Dennis, with his granddaughter, as he walks by the nursery. And what's she call you at this point? Poppy, Poppy. And so he goes by and she says, eh, Poppy, Poppy. Every time, every time he'll stop, he'll pick her up and he'll hold her. There is something about a child with their arms lifted up saying, take me, take me, please take me, that causes a father to want to reach down and to pick his child up. And the same thing is true of God. It says this in James chapter 4 and verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so in much of this life, you will find it difficult and hard depressing and discouraging but one of the great assets that we have is to lift up our arms in praise and to watch the father respond by picking us up and out of our situation so that is one way in which our hands are meant to be raised they are meant to be raised in praise but another way and let's um, move on to the fact that we are to lift our hands in prayer. We are to lift our hands in prayer. I love what Paul says to Timothy, his young disciple, in how the church in Ephesus is meant to function. So he says this. He said, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. So here David is, or here David, here uh, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, in how many places? How many different places? In every, now the question of every there is, is that in every place, at, at home and here and there, or wherever, or in every place of worship? So this is in a worship section of how worship is meant to be done. And so here it's very likely that he's saying, I desire that in every place of worship that the men... Now, the word he uses here for men is exactly the word that's there. This is not humanity. This is not a generic version for people. It's not men and women, children is like, likewise. No, that's not what the word is here. He is saying very specifically that I want in places of worship the adult men of God to pray. How? How? How are men supposed to pray? That's right. So what he is saying is, in worship, I want the men of God to lead the way when it comes to worship. And I want them to lift up holy hands as they pray. Now, why men? Why is he putting this onus on guys? Well, 
maybe you're thinking that's because it comes easy for women right guys you know for some reason women have an easier time raising those hands and finding that intimate motive with the Lord and and guys just not so much you know guys you know we're we're uh, white anglo-saxon a lot of us are and and we're engineers so it doesn't come natural for us the idea of raising our hands is so hard well that could be part of the problem or maybe you think it's not manly enough is it manly to raise your hands I can see there's a lot of questioning about that. Let me ask you who King David was. David. Warrior King David. Guy's guy, David. Man's man, David. What I want you to understand is real men raise their hands. That's the truth. That's the truth. So it's not a girl thing, and it's not an emotional thing. It's a guy godly thing. It really is. And his goal is that men should raise their hands in prayer, in worship. Why? Because men have been called by God to lead the way in worship in the home and in the church. That is what God has done. He has called men, not women, men to lead the way in worship in the home and in the church. We live in a culture today that has done everything within its power to erase gender distinctions. Men and men and women and women, they're just blurring all the lines, and, and there is no distinctiveness anymore between a man's role and responsibility and a woman's role and responsibility. Now, that holds true in much of life. I've got to admit, there are a lot of ways that it really doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman who is doing the job. You know, a lot of women are CEOs. There are women on the Supreme Court. There were women senators. We almost had a woman president. So women, by all means, can do virtually anything and probably better than a man. Amen? <laughs> Ladies, that was your opportunity. You want it again? While that may be true across the breadth of much of what we do, it doesn't really matter if you're a guy or a gal. That simply is not true in the home or in the church in those two god ordained uh, environments god has mandated that men take the lead primarily in the area of worship and the impact that a godly man has on not just his wife but upon his children is greater than you know it is so great. Recently, a study was done. And it was done in Switzerland. And they did it twice just because the statistics, the way they turned out, were so alarming. And so in Switzerland, uh, they did this test or this study. And it was called a generational faith discovered. A generational faith discovered. And quite to the surprise of the researchers, this is the heading. It is the religious practice of the father of the family that above all determines the future attendance at or absence from church of the children. Let me say that one more time. Their study boiled down to this in this heading. It is the religious practice of the father of the family that above all determines the future attendance at or absence from church of the children. Here are the alarming statistics. 
says, if both the father and the mother attend worship regularly, which, which is always the best, which is always what is desired, dad leads the way, brings his wife and his children into worship, 33% of those children will end up as regular churchgoers. Why? Because they're modeling what they see in their dad. That's huge. 41% of those children will end up attending church irregularly, but still attending. Why? Because dad has left the way. Only about one quarter of those children will end up not practicing their parents' faith at all. Now, if the father is irregular in worship and the mother is regular, only 3% of the children will subsequently become regular worshipers. It went from 33 to 3. While, the further, while further, 59% will become irregular. Why? Because they're watching dad. They're watching dad. 38% will be lost, is the way the study put it. I didn't add that word. That's their word. Now, if the father is non-practicing and the mother is regular in worship, only 2% of children will become regular worshipers. 37% will attend irregularly, but over 60% of the children will be lost completely to the church. Why? Because they're modeling dad. You see, in much of society, it really doesn't matter if it's a gal or a guy who's doing the job, whether it's in the government, the military, uh, the business world. But when it comes to the home and it comes to the church and it comes to giving faith, the father is absolutely vital to that. So it ends with this statement. In short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotion, only about one child in 50 will become regular. If a, if a father does go regularly, leading the family in worship, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers, regular or irregular. Wow. Now, again, they had to do this study twice because they could not believe the statistics that were coming back to them. You see, it's vital in the plan of God that men, that men lift up holy hands without anger or quarreling and pray in the home and in the church. We are meant to lead the way in worship. That is what God has put on the men. So, we are meant to lift our hands in praise and find that our Father reaches back and lifts us out of our situations. Men are to lift their hands in prayer, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. One more place I want to take you, and this will be the last one that we look at. It's found in Exodus chapter 17, verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> and it's the story of Moses and the Israelites versus the Amalekites. And so it says this, So Joshua did as Moses had told him, and he fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Notice this. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. The situation is simply this. Children of Israel just come over the Red Sea. Uh, they're now moving towards the Promised Land. There is this nomadic group of people called the Amalekites. 
and they were picking off the hindermost Israelites, usually women and children, and they were pillaging and plundering the children of Israel. So God stipulated that Amalek would ultimately be wiped out uh, as, as a judgment on them. So this was one of the first battles that was pitched against the Amalekites. And so here we have Moses, and Moses is up on the mountaintop, and Israel, the fighting force, is down in the valley. And every time Moses held up his hands, what happened? They were winning. And when he would let down his hands, they were losing. And so he'd hold up his hands, and they'd hold, let down his hands, and he'd lift up his hands, and he would let down his hands, and he would hold his hands like this. <laughs> Maybe a stalemate? I don't know. But there is this sense that every time Moses would lift his hands, that he would see the power of God being displayed in and through the nation of Israel. While the guys were on the ground fighting, Moses was on the hillside bringing God into the mix. And no matter how hard they fought, if Moses' arms got tired and they began to go down, the Amalekites would prevail. It is showing us the sovereign power of God that is available to those who call out to him, who lift their hands to him. This is where true power is found in the Christian life. Now, lifting of hands is the universal symbol for what? Lifting your hands is the universal symbol for what? Yes, absolutely. Surrender. If a combatant comes up behind you and has a gun on you and says, put your hands up, what are you going to do? Put your hands up. Let's, let's practice, okay? Here we go. Put your hands up. Okay, yes. So one of the universal symbols of lifted hands is the issue of surrender. So as Moses is on the mountaintop, he's lifting up his hands like this, and he is surrendering to God their inability. Their inability to prevail apart from God. And so on the one hand, he is showing surrender. But what's the other international symbol of lifted hands? Yeah, victory! Victory! Come on, you know when the Redskins are driving, it's late, there's only a few seconds left in the clock, and they plunge across the end zone, and you're like, yeah! Okay, three of you are, okay. I guess we're losing the number of Redskins fans we used to have. So yeah, there's something about that. Do you remember there was a Super Bowl a little while back against Seattle and the New England Patriots? Remember that game? When you got to the end of the game, they were going to give it to, to Marshawn Lynch, and he was just going to plunge in, and the Patriots were going to lose. But rather than giving it to Marshawn Lynch, they chose to throw a pass. And this guy by the name of Butler stepped in the way of the pass, grabbed the pass, fell forward. We intercepted the ball and ran out the clock. That moment, that moment as a New England Patriots fan, I found my arms going like this. I was involuntary. It just happened. It was like, oh, my gosh. And then I found my son launched himself off the couch onto me, and I was like, ah, here he comes. But there's like this moment. It's like it's involuntary. And so, too, what Moses is displaying for us is this truth. Surrender is victory in the Christian life. If you want to know victory over the challenges you face, praise God. Let him lift you up. Let him surround you with his presence. Lift up holy hands in prayer, but surrender. And in surrender, there is I love what an uh, older statesman had to say. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. He said this, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. That's because when you give up, you are now giving God place to act. 
And God acted on behalf of the children of Israel. And they won the victory. You know, there is one other who models this perfectly for us. He lifted up his hands in surrender, and he also lifted up his hands in victory. His name is Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. And at the end of that turmoil, it is finished. And our salvation was complete in him. Lots of good reasons, lots of good reasons to talk about lifting your hands. In praise, in prayer, and in power. We sang a song just a few moments ago. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And uh, they are going to do a reprise of this song. It is the key song for this series. You'll notice uh, all the elements we're going to talk about in this song. And I want you to use this next few moments to lift your hands. Lift your hands. Lift our hands. We lift our hands, pour out our hearts to you, Lord. To you, Lord. We bow our knee, our gifts we bring to you, Lord. To you, Lord. We We love 